As Hank makes his way forward for our reading from God's Word, I invite you to join with me in our prayer for illumination. Go ahead, Ruth. Okay, sorry. Stepping on your toes today. No, no problem. (laughs) Please join me in our prayer for illumination. Speak to us, Lord. Speak to us in the waiting, the watching, the hoping, the longing, the sorrow, the sighing, and the rejoicing. Speak to us by your word in the advent days, and walk with us until the day of your coming. Amen. The scripture reading this morning comes to us from the Gospel of Luke, the third chapter, verses 7 through 18. Hear the word of God. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The ax is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? The crowd asked. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. See what I have on? I looked in my closet and said, that pink sweater, it's joy today. We also put up the word joy on the Christmas banner. Right, we talked about that when we did at the Advent reading. I'm going to sit in a chair so I can see you. And I just wanna say, I am so full of joy. I love Christmas. I love thinking about when Jesus was born. My heart is full of joy, and I want you guys to be full of joy too. So thinking I had to do a sermon, I brought out all my books and started looking through my Christmas books. And I said, well, I've done this before, so I'm sorry if this is a repeat, but I love it. And I have to read it to you again. And I found a couple other things. So you're going to just have to put up with me today because I'm just full of joy. 
So I want you to really listen to the story to hear what happens, okay? This is about baby Jesus in the bread box. There, no picture, okay? So just, yeah, okay. So listen to the story, okay? The week before Advent, this lady asked her nine-year-old boy, Andrew, to set up the manger scene on the chest in the entryway of their home. He carefully unwrapped each piece. They were hand-painted animals and shepherds, wise men, Mary, Joseph, and placed the baby Jesus in the wooden manger. The next day, I walked by to see it in the hallway. I noticed baby Jesus was missing. Andrew must be playing a joke on me, they thought. Later, when I started fixing supper, I opened the bread box, and on the kitchen counter, there was baby Jesus next to a loaf of bread. When I asked Andrew about this, his explanation was simple. In Sunday school class, my teacher said, Jesus is the bread of life. Mom, besides, he shouldn't be in the manger until Christmas when he was born. Ever since Andrew put Jesus in the bread box, it has become a family tradition. Now from the first day of Advent until Christmas Eve, Jesus either sits on top of the bread box or inside with the bread because he is the bread of life. Each time I reach for the bread, I'm reminded to say a quick prayer of thanksgiving for all the blessings I receive every day, including our bread. On Christmas Eve, almost ceremoniously, Andrew takes the baby Jesus and puts him in the manger between Mary and Joseph. After the epiphany, we put the manger scene away for the whole year, all except baby Jesus. He goes back in the bread box as a daily reminder that Jesus, like our daily bread, the spirit of Christmas is in every day, all year long. That's one. Next one, it's not long, okay? Ready? In his place. The Christmas holiday season was fast approaching and the stepped up activity within the school classroom could be seen and felt. As the children busily made decorations for the room after their assigned lessons were done, one could hear the cheerful, quiet humming of carols that they had been learning in music class. Do you ever do that when you learn a song? You find you're humming it to yourself? I sat at my desk stapling together the red and green decorations that had been carefully, if crudely, cut and glued. I glanced at the manger on the back bookcase and I saw it. It happened again. The baby was missing. Baby Jesus, somebody took him. The manger was a very old one. She, I had bought it years before in a department store. The manger was just a simple one, only baby Jesus was movable. Mary, Joseph, a shepherd, and a white sheep were all stapled to the bottom. You couldn't take them out. Interestingly, each year in the room to which five and six-year-old children come, 
baby Jesus was blonde every time. But even more interesting, he always appeared again as the holiday grew closer. As I thought about this, I saw a little boy named Dallas get up out of his chair. He kind of walked around the room and he looked around and he stopped in front of the manger. And I saw him reach into his pocket and take from it what looked like a piece of crumbled up paper. But here he had baby Jesus wrapped in it. Using both his hands, he placed it carefully back in the manger and he patted it lightly and lovingly. Then he skipped to his seat, slid to a sudden stop, sat down and started cutting it again. A smile on his face, you could hear him singing to himself away in the manger. I smiled, I knew that Dallas had taught me a lesson in the busy room that day. When we put the Christ child in his rightful place in our lives, all is well. And we are truly filled with joy. Then I have one little poem that my Aunt Betsy Romanello sent me in a card one Christmas, and I found it in my book. So that means I have to share it with you. It says, Mary had a little lamb. Have you heard that poem before? Yeah, Mary had a little lamb. This one goes, Mary had a little lamb. He came on Christmas night. She laid him in a manger bed, this king of life and light. He ate with the poor and sinful folk. He claimed he was God's son. It made the leaders plot his death, this holy, sinless one. He came to give us joy and peace to take away our sin. He heals the sick and calms the storm and ushers justice in. What makes the Lamb love Mary so and all the world beside? By grace alone he chose his own, for them he lived and died. And we must love the Lamb, you know. His blood will wash us clean. Our words must show that we are his, our lives by all are seen. One day this lamb will come again, more lion than a lamb. Defeat his foes, reward his own. Oh, praise the day he came. Thank you so much for coming up, and I'm just going to close with that poem. Thank you, Nancy. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Almighty God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O oh God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We've been building and building in this season of Advent. Advent is celebrated in December as the days get shorter and shorter. Have you noticed this? You know, right around the time that the time changes, it's like you've barely gotten on with your day and all of a sudden it's dark outside. And there's a reason for that. 
our, our rhythms of our bodies, I mean, they are disrupted a bit by, you know, lights and all of those kinds of things, but we, we kind of get into this sense of longing and expectation for things to change again, for us to get on the other side of December, for those days to begin to broaden out and lengthen as well. Advent is a season of preparation. It's also a season of waiting. And so the question that I want us to ponder together this morning is, what are we waiting for in this Advent season, this year, in 2021? What is the thing that we are waiting for? Luke tells us here in this story of John the Baptist that all of the people were waiting expectantly. Were waiting expectantly. And what do you suppose the people are waiting for? Well, last week we talked about the social setting, right, of, of this passage, and we talked about all of those important people. Mike Cohen did a great job of reading their names, Tiberius Caesar and Pontius Pilate and Herod and Philip and Lysanias and Annas and Caiaphas. But all of those important names are indicators to us that someone else is in charge. God had promised Abraham and his descendants in the Old Testament that the people of God would occupy some land and along with that land they would have descendants and along with those descendants would be a ruler who would rule over them, David and his line. And so the people are waiting expectantly for God's promises to be fulfilled. For someone from David's line to come forth to rule them, perhaps to set them free. And this is not a something that they've been waiting for for a few days or a couple of years. This waiting has been going on centuries at this point. From about the mid-6th century B.C. all the way up until this point, 600 years or so, the people have been in various stages of displacement, exile, foreign rule. Now, 600 years is a long time. It's longer than the United States has been a country, and it is longer than anyone here has been alive, or your parents, or your grandparents, or your great-grandparents, and perhaps predates any of them coming to America as immigrants. It's a long time. It's a long time to wait in hopeful expectation for something. 
If you read through the Old Testament prophets, you get this sense of this hopeful expectation. But it comes along with it joy, which is strange, I think. Because if you're waiting for something to happen and you're longing for something to happen and it just hasn't happened, well, that can start to drag you down over time, can't it? It can sap us of our joy. And yet, those Old Testament prophets write as if the thing that they've been waiting for has already happened. It's like they're stepping outside of time and taking a God's eye view of things and saying, we know that God is going to act. We know that God has already promised that it's going to happen. And so we wait with joy and joyful expectation. So the people in John's day... Luke tells us, are waiting expectantly. And they were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Christ. The thing that we are waiting for, sometimes we hope that it's come and we see it in other ways, in other places. When I look at our world today, and I look at the situations that we find ourselves in, who knew, you know, two years ago that COVID would be teaching us the Greek alphabet? How many of you knew that Omicron was a Greek letter before, like, a couple weeks ago? Yeah, some, right? Right, those who went to seminary and learned Greek. I hate to tell you folks, but there are letters after Omicron. Once we get to Omega, then you'll know we've gotten at the end and perhaps we start again at Alpha, again at the beginning. We have this deep division in our country and in our world, and it doesn't take much to, to feel and experience that. And we know that there are tensions in our world, some of it based on race, some of it based on gender, some of it based on sexuality or class, social class, economics. We have this deep sense that the world is not as it should be. And for so many of us, this Advent season where we wait with joyful expectation is simultaneously joyful expectation and mourning all at the same time. Because the people that we used to wait with are not here with us anymore. And so we are reminded that waiting can be hard. And for the people of this first century Roman Empire, waiting produces a lot of Messiah figures, right? One of the things that the people are looking for is someone who preaches a different kind of message. And so they hear about this strange guy who is out in the wilderness saying, 
remarkable things and baptizing people and calling them to repentance to change their lives. And it's something they're drawn to because they think maybe this guy is the Messiah. And so they show up with hopeful expectation. And what is the message that is proclaimed? This uplifting message. You brood of vipers, who told you to flee the coming wrath? Boy, what would you do if on a Sunday morning you were new to a church and the pastor stood up and said, Welcome to Abundant Life Reformed Church, you brood of vipers. Who told you to come here this morning? Now, Jonathan Edwards could get away with that kind of thing. You know, people in the Great Awakening were used to being, like, abused in that way. But today, folks would just go up and go somewhere else. But in John's day, well, this is a message that folks are drawn to because they want something different. Now, by the way, brood of vipers, not just an insult. A brood of vipers is the children of vipers. So who are the vipers? Where are they coming from? Where's the viper nest? It's in Jerusalem. John is poking at the high priest, Caiaphas, Annas, poking at those seats of power. He's out there in the wilderness. And they're fleeing from that, from that place of danger towards a sense of hope. And so they come and they hear his message. He says to them, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Don't rest on your laurels. Don't say we have Abraham as our father. The axe is already at the root of that tree, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. And so the people, they say, okay, then what should we do? What do we do while we wait? And John says, act responsibly. If you've got two shirts, give one to someone who doesn't have any. You got two meals, give to someone who's hungry. Which is not a new teaching. It's not a revolutionary teaching by any stretch of the imagination. It is fairly orthodox Jewish law. It's the same message that they would have received anywhere else, interestingly enough. Even tax collectors came. Now, when Marion DeVries was still living, she used to scold me for being low on the tax collectors, a tax collector herself. But I would always say, you know, Marion, Jesus loved the tax collectors the most. What should we do? He doesn't say, stop collecting taxes. He says, don't collect any more than you are required to. Act ethically. And then some soldiers come. Now, soldiers would have been the real enemies, right? I mean, tax collectors, they're bad enough, but the soldiers are the, are, if they're Roman soldiers, they are the arm of the Roman Empire, and if they are soldiers of Herod, they're still stooges for the Romans. But even they come, 
and ask, what should we do? And he says to them, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. Don't extort the people. Don't use your power in ways that are abusive. But be responsible. Treat people well. And they wonder if John is the Christ. Could he possibly be the Christ? Perhaps that kind of power is tempting, but John says, it's not me. I'm only baptizing you with water. I'm merely preparing the way for the one who is to come. The snaps of whose sandals I'm not even able to snap. I love that translation. I can't even tie this guy's shoes. I baptize you with water, but when he comes, it's not a water baptism, it's a fire baptism. Now, what's that about? Is he talking about hell, judgment? Let me ask you this. I don't need to see a show of hands, but maybe just a smile on your face. Who took a shower in the last week? Okay. Awesome. Are you going to take a shower again? Yeah, she might. Are you all going to take a shower again? Probably, because when you wash off with water, you get dirty again, right? But when you clean something with fire, what happens to it? Now, I don't, I don't want you to clean yourself with fire. <laughs> Should have like a big disclaimer. Do not listen to anything this guy has to say. No, if you clean something with fire, you burn up the impurities and they don't come back, right? That's what John is talking about here. He's saying, when the one comes after me, the change that he brings is lasting change. I wash you with water, you get dirty again. He comes along and cleans you with fire and you're clean forever. That's what this fire language is. It's not some people are wheat and some people are chaff and the wheat gets preserved and the chaff gets burned up. It's that in each one of us, we have both wheat and chaff. And when the Messiah comes, our chaff gets burned away and the kernel is what is left. That's what John is saying here. That is the promise. And he's saying, that's what you are waiting for. So don't accept any substitutes. Don't accept anything lesser than that. And my friends, when waiting gets hard, sometimes we say, well, maybe a substitute would be better. And I think what we see in our world today is a world that has relied on substitutes in place of the Messiah, has gone searching in a lot of different ways because the waiting has gotten hard and it's gotten long. And so we go looking for saviors in other places. But hear the words of John, there is no substitute for the one who cleans you once and you're clean forever. There is no substitute. That's the reason why folks were showing up to him. 
And I think that's the reason why folks show up in church week after week after week after week too. With hopeful expectation that these things that are being proclaimed are going to come to pass. But in Advent, we wait. Advent is a season of waiting for that which has been promised to come. And so today, halfway through this Advent journey, we remember that our waiting is with joyful expectation. Because the world is not as it should be. We have not yet been perfected, but we have this promise. This promise that God is faithful. That Christ will return to bring heaven down to earth and finally make things perfect the way that they were always meant to be. But my prayer for us in this Advent season is that we wouldn't be impatient in our waiting and that we wouldn't go searching for substitutes, but instead would wait for the one who is able to make us clean now and forever. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Almighty God, thank you for calling us. And thank you for calling our attention to tendencies within ourselves to accept something less than you. We thank you for a season like Advent which calls attention to this this tendency inside of us. We pray for the Messiah to return soon and very soon. We pray for your Spirit's blessing in our lives. We pray for the courage to proclaim this good news so that others who are searching might find your Son as their one true Savior as well. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. My friends, if you're able to stand, would you stand with me as we affirm our faith? Today, from the words of the Nicene Creed, people of God, what do we believe? We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father. God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became truly human. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate, he suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. 
we acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.